Christmas is a wonderful time, and I like to say along with uh, everyone else, Merry Christmas. It's so good to see you today, and I'm so glad we can say Merry Christmas. Turn to your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas. But it is a time when we're busy. It's a time when we're just going here and there and all of these things are happening and, and, and sometimes we just don't have enough time. And one of the things I find myself doing, if, I, if I'm not careful, I, I forget to do the most important things. And, and you know, the Bible speaks of being silent before the Lord, quiet before the Lord. And so I know we're all going to be busy this holiday season, the next few weeks, and, and then New Year's with all that's going to happen. But I'd like for, for us to take just a few moments to just to sit, just to think of all that He, Christ, has done for us. To think of the cross, the price that was paid, His love for us. To think that Christmas is more than just a man in a red suit and all the other things. It's about a Christ that was born, lived, and died, rose again. And that night when he was born was such a holy night. It changed history. It changed our calendars the night Jesus was born. was a holy night.
Thank you, Judy. Thank you so very much. Isn't that wonderful? Let's, let's plan on doing that more this holiday. Put in a CD on or, or just sitting somewhere quietly. Or just opening the Bible and reading the Christmas story. Huey loves singing. Uh, next Sunday is going to be a wonderful time of singing. We have some special songs. James is going to be singing Silent Night. Joy, I understand, is going to be singing. We're going to have other specials. You will enjoy it. Amen. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. Brother Steve will make sure you get one. We want everyone to have an outline. And the title of this outline is The Insignificant Made Significant. I don't know how you came this morning and what kind of mood you were in. I don't know if you and your wife or you and your husband or you and the children had a little spat. I know... You know, when, you, when you're married for a long time, you just learn to live with each other. You don't have as many spats as you do when you're younger. You know, you have to learn each other. And I know there were times I had to come to the pulpit and Carol and I had had a little spat or disagreement and an argument. And boy, it's hard. I don't know what happened to you before you came. I don't know if you're suffering in your body with sickness or I don't know if you struggle with with, with, with some kind of oppression. I don't know where you are. But let me tell you something that's very, very important. God knows where you are in your walk with him, in your relationship with him, in your relationship with others. He knows how you feel this morning. I must confess, I've been to church at times when I didn't want to go to church. I didn't feel like being in church. But I don't think I've ever been to church feeling like that, that I didn't go away happy. The songs, the message, the spirit of the Lord, the presence of God. And I know there were times that I just felt like getting in a corner somewhere. You ever felt like you were just very, very insignificant? Whether it was on your job or whether it was in your home, you hadn't heard anyone says, hey, you did a good job. You just hadn't heard anyone encouraging you lately. And, and work hadn't gone well. And all of the, I'm not trying to be depressing. I'm, not, I'm just saying there are times we go through these things and we feel so insignificant. What good am I? But I want you to know that God Almighty takes the insignificant and makes something significant out of it. That's great. I want to read some scripture to you. If you will, Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 4. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock. 
in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is speaking hundreds of years before of none other than the Messiah. Speaking of none other than an insignificant place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And then one of the, the greatest writings that you could read during the time of Christmas is in, is in the book of Luke. The great physician records it this way in chapter 2 and beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This, this census first took place with Quirinius, and he was governor while he was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior which is called Christ the Lord. I get excited when I start reading this story and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe, capitalized, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely, they left there and made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. May the Lord add his blessing to this wonderful text that God introduces to us and millions around the world this Christmas. 
how that this took place. Notice the introduction, if you will, that we have on your outline. God has often taken the weakest link to make it the strongest. Notice the ones that we bring out. King David, the least of his brothers, yet he stood toe-to-toe with Goliath in the name of the Lord, and he simply conquered this giant. Gideon, a ruler in Israel at one time, was the least of his family when he was called, and his family was the least of the tribes. Yet Gideon fighting in the power of the Lord was simply victorious over the Midianites. And then there was Samuel, which was a small boy, didn't even know the voice of God. And great story how God called this boy, and he became one of the greatest, if not the greatest prophets ever. Then there was Moses, which was a murderer and a fugitive, and yet God called him to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. All of these were significant nobodies. Nobodies. And God used them, and they accomplished great things. Great things. Christmas is about the fulfillment of God's promise to those who are insignificant insignificant I missed Amos one of the minor prophets which has a book in the Bible recorded from him what was he? he was a great prophet but before he was he was a sheep herder and a sycamore fig farmer and yet God called him and God used him mightily for Israel how you feel today? You may feel like I'm insignificant. Let me tell you what the Bible speaks of. First of all, Bethlehem was an insignificant place. You see, the happenings of that day, the real goings on was like New York and Los Angeles. I mean, Chicago's where it's at. Los Angeles is where it's at. New York, if you want to be anything, and especially in, in, in being something great in America, you got to move maybe to one of these places. But this was what was happening in the time of Jesus. Rome was the place where things were happening. Syria, let's move there. Let's, let's hear the great news that's coming from them. But God chooses something small, a place that is quiet, an out-of-the-way place, and does something there that changes the course of history. Nobody hardly knew anything about Palestine. It was tucked away in a small pocket of the Roman lake, the Mediterranean Sea. Nobody knew anything about Palestine but God. He took an insignificant place and made something significant out of it. Not only was there and during the time of Christ an insignificant place, there were insignificant people. I sat there this morning and I was thinking as they were singing the songs, I looked at this choir and almost every person in that choir is a miracle. I looked at the front row and I looked at the back row and I looked at 
all of these people that were presenting this great presentation. And I saw miracle after miracle. God took some that maybe seemed to them that were insignificant. You had the small kids. I love, I love the age bracket in that choir. The children, the older people, the middle-aged people, and all of them this morning certainly was very significant. During the time of Jesus, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, the governor, all of these people were significant. Not Mary, a teenage girl. Not Joseph, a carpenter. And yet God took them. Mary and Joseph, a young poor couple from Nazareth. And then think about this. I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. The shepherds. Many of the shepherds were outcast. They smelled. Many of them, some of them couldn't even go into the cities. Nobody wanted to be identified with the shepherds. But this, these are the very people that Jesus sent the angel to. And then a host of angels. I don't know how many angels. There could have been thousands of angels. They were not, they were society's misfits. Yet God chose them. And God used them. Why do you think God used them? Notice what we say. I think first of all to show that everyone is important in the sight of God. It doesn't matter who they are. As I have served God all of these years and I've watched men and women in the kingdom of God and working in the kingdom of God, I said, God, how you've chosen these people In a revival down east, one night in the church that my wife and I would hold in this revival, there were singers and they were singing so well. And all of a sudden there was a break in the action and sitting about halfway in the audience, an elderly gentleman stood up with a broken voice but with a countenance that would challenge you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Amen. No music. No fanfare. It riveted through that whole congregation. Amen. grace. No choir. No great musician or singer could have ever affected people in that service like that elderly gentleman that stood and sung that night and sat down and you felt like you had been visited by the hand of God. God takes insignificant people and he makes them significant and changes people's lives. I believe my friend, it's to show how important every person is in the sight of God. I use restaurant visiting. By the way, I enjoy going to restaurants to eat. Not that my wife can't cook good meals. I just like going to good restaurants to eat. And I try to make sure that I bless 
my waiter or waitress. I try to make sure that I bless them good. And then I watch the bus boys and girls coming out with a big container. And they're the ones that have to clean up behind us, sweep up the floor, get the dirty dishes, put them in a container, and take them back to the kitchen. And I try to make sure that I express my appreciation. I love them with a gift like I love them with a gift of, uh, to the waitresses. No one is insignificant. Everyone is significant when it comes to God. I believe another reason is to show that God chooses anyone to respond in faith. Anyone to respond. Herod responded in anger. You remember that story? Two years later, this is after Jesus was born. Maybe, maybe three, but they were in a house. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus was in a house. And the three wise men that, that Larry spoke of this morning, they came to visit from afar. They had followed something. What did they follow? They followed a star. And they came to Herod and they said, someone important that's going to be king is born in this vicinity. Notice what Matthew says about Herod when all of this took place. And Herod, when he saw, because they went looking for the child, the wise men, they saw and then they left and they went another way. Herod wanted them to come and tell him so he could go and have them have Jesus killed. He was a murderer. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all of its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. I believe that God uses the insignificant person that shows faith. It was, the, it was the shepherds that showed faith. When they heard this great noise, uh, great announcement, they said, let's go and see. And then they left there and went all over the community, all over the district, and they told about Jesus Christ. Insignificant places, insignificant people. In 1809, in 1809, the newspapers were captivated by Napoleon's campaigns to conquer country after country. That was the headlines. He conquered Austria, this country, that country. And that was the headlines in 1809. But nobody covered the headline of Harding County, Kentucky. Nobody's was in, no one was interested in that. It was all about this significant person, Napoleon, or about this significant person. No one covered this county in Kentucky. But a person was born that night that would change America and really the world. Abraham Lincoln was born a very insignificant child that became the greatest, and people still say it today, the greatest president of the United States. He chooses insignificant 
places. He chooses insignificant people. And it was an insignificant event. Our story gives attention to the birth of a baby. A baby? God, can't you come up with a better idea than that? He's helpless. His little arms are not big, seven or eight pounds. You're going to take this and change the world? Is that the best you can do? He has to be fed. His diaper's got to be changed. And you're going to take this and change the world? What a story. What an event. Born and stable and laid in a manger, a cow's trough. Oh, wouldn't you like to have been those shepherds, the first people to visit Jesus? Oh, what an event. For the believer, this is anything but normal. There was a matter of fulfilled prophecy. Fifty-some prophecies concerning this person that would come, where he would come to, what would happen to him, how things would happen. Hundreds of years before, fulfillment of prophecy. God uses insignificant people. I don't know when, listen to me, I don't know when I have gotten phone calls and, I'm sorry, texts like I've gotten this morning. I couldn't even get to the church without my little old flip phone going off. I do have text on my flip phone. And, you know, I text after text, and I pulled over the side of the road and pulled down another road, and I read it from Virginia. And this man, this pastor, he texted me, and he said, Preacher, God will bless you this morning. The kingdom of God is going to be represented in that service. I got to the church and the phone was going again and I opened it up and a preacher from Alabama, Pastor, I'm praying mildly for you this morning. On and on and on again, God spoke in this service Friday night in the prayer time. He spoke to my heart and he said, Sunday, this Sunday, today. He said, I don't feel anything. I don't see anything. I, let me tell you what. God will take an insignificant Sunday and he will change your life and miracles can take place if you only believe. The shepherds believe and they received. Not Herod. God took those shepherds. There was a matter of the appearance of the star. What a phenomenon. What a happening. Those wise men came for many, many miles and they followed that star and that star directed them to the Son of God, stood over that place and said, this is he. Hallelujah. Stood over that house. There was the matter of virgin conception and birth. Now you figure that one out. You think that one up. Can't happen. Never has happened. Never will happen. Oh, yes, it will. God Almighty touched that little teenage girl. 
and said, Be it unto you, you shall be with child and shall bring forth the Savior of the world. And you're talking about a song that she sung. You're talking about a recognition. Hallelujah. This virgin that had never known a man gave forth a child that would save the world. How does you, how do you figure all this out? It can't be. Oh, yes, it did. It happened. Insignificant places, insignificant people, insignificant event. And then lastly, let's notice such an important happening. Small town of Bethlehem. What has all this got to do with us? What has all of this got to do with singing choir songs? And what does this have to be this way or that way? Let me tell you what it has to do. That Savior that was born that night, that Savior lived. He blessed, healed the sick, raised the dead, touched blinded eyes, opened deaf ears, all of these things, and then he was crucified. Pastor, you believe all that stuff? Yeah. He was put in a tomb. You know, I was thinking about this. He was so helpless when he was born, wrapped in swaddling clothes. You ever seen anything more helpless than a baby? And you that's just got newborn babies or children, you, you got to look after them all the time. I mean, they're helpless. Jesus, he was the son of God, but he also was human. He was a baby. And then at the end of, his, end of his life, they took him off the cross, wrapped him in clothes, and laid him in a tomb. Anything any more helpless? He's dead. I mean, people were rejoicing. The enemy thought that they had him, but all of a sudden the stone was rolled back and he stepped out. He no longer was insignificant and helpless. That stone rolled back and Jesus came out and lifted up his hands. I believe he looked over at Gabriel, the, 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 the angel, and said, Hello, Gabriel, how are you doing this morning? He looked over at Michael and he said, Michael, I am he that was dead, yet I'm alive, 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 alive forevermore. Insignificant. Insignificant. And that insignificant that became significant will make you that feel insignificant, significant. He'll touch lives through you that you thought would never be touched. I don't know how my son's going to come to Jesus. I don't know how my daughter's going to be saved. I don't know about my grandchildren. I don't know about my neighbor. I don't know about my coworker. I don't know. What can I do? God can use you, and he can use you just as great as he can use any preacher, that he can use any prophet, that he can use any teacher, that he can use anybody. You, you are significant in his eyes. And you can do certainly great things. A great happening, a great birth. Important task. Can you imagine there was not a king or ruler that Jesus was born to? I mean, suppose he'd been born into royalty. 
Suppose he'd been born in all of this greatness and, and they'd have nannies and nurses and all of them to look after him. But he was born to an adopted father who was a carpenter. His hands were calloused. He didn't know how to take care of a baby. But yet he adopted Jesus. And he was a great father to this one Jesus. Great happening, great birth, great task, great child. And lastly, a great message. A great message. A five-year-old boy, five-year-old boy, a very important five-year-old boy. He had a great heritage. He was part of the leadership of Israel. In fact, Saul, the first king of Israel, great man, tall, handsome, powerful man at one time. It was his grandson. And Saul had a had a son, a great son, by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan, his wife gave birth to this five-year-old son. His name, I love his name, I like to say it, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Saul, listen at me, it's a great story. Saul and Jonathan in a battle against the enemy, both of them. Mephibosheth's dad and granddad were killed that day. Well, when the king, which was Saul, when the king was done away with and killed, then that meant his heritage, his children, his lineage was taken out. They would kill most of the time, someone came in, they would kill them so there would be no competition to take over. And so the nurse took Mephibosheth, five-year-old, and started running with him, picked him up because there was great danger. And she was going to save him so he would not be killed. He would live. Well, in her hurrying and, and, and rushing, she dropped him. And Mephibosheth was crippled, not in one leg, one foot, but in both, in both. They took him to a country far away. And here he was. He was at one time very significant. He would come maybe even to be king, but now he won't. He's in a place where nobody knows him hardly. He's in a place that they want to keep it a secret so no one can get to him. He couldn't even walk to the table. He could walk nowhere. They had to pick him up and carry him day after day after day. He was very now, because of his crippled condition, because he, listen at me, because he, was in danger of being killed. He was insignificant. 
David became king, the greatest king that ever lived for Israel. And one day he said, I want, I want to honor Saul. Even though Saul many times tried to kill David, David would not harm Saul. He loved him. He said, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? No, we don't know of anyone. One of the men said, yeah, I think I know. I think I know of Saul's grandson. His name is Mephibosheth. David said, I want you to go get him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the knock on the door? Who is this? It's David's soldiers have come. It's David's appointed men to come and, and bring Mephibosheth back to the kingdom. Can you imagine what they thought? He's going to kill us. He's, he's going to be dead. But David invited him back. Mephibosheth goes back to the kingdom. David honors him. He gives the, the land that Saul was supposed to be Saul's. He gives it back to Mephibosheth. He appoints people to look after him. And David said, for the rest of your life, you can put your feet under my table. The insignificant can sit with the significant. The nobody, the crippled, can sit at my table. And if you're here today and you're lost, you never have accepted Christ. If you're here today and you have, but yet somehow you, you just feel so insignificant, I want you to listen to the voice of God calling your name. He'll call your name. He'll speak to your heart. He'll speak to your conscience. And he'll say, come, put your feet under my table and feast with me. He'll make you su sufficient. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for helping us nobodies to be somebody. Not great because of some accomplishment that we did or because of what we have or what we don't have or all of these things. As, as Mephibosheth was taken because of a covenant that was made with his father, Jonathan. David loved Jonathan like his own brother. And David promised Jonathan he'd take care of his lineage. And because of that covenant, Mephibosheth was made of somebody. Lord, I was born a nobody. A nobody. On a farm. Oh, let me tell you, Lord, I praise you today. And yet because of the covenant that was made with Jesus Christ, the father said, Don, you're welcome. And at the age of nine years old, you welcomed me in. Put your arms around me. And you've always kept me close to your bosom. Every person that's here has the same way been blessed. If they simply accept you, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one looking around for just a moment. This is an important time of this service because you're going to make a decision. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want you to know him. You say, how do you get to know Christ? What do you do? Join your church? 
Are there certain rules and regulations that I've got to abide by? Let me tell you, it's so simple. All you need to do is recognize I need Jesus. I'm lost. If Jesus would come, if I would die right now, would I be ready to meet him? All you need to do is say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my heart and accept him as your Savior. Do that. And he'll bless you. Stand with me, please, everyone that will. Just stand right where you are. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, let me tell you something. Jesus is not just to be known. He's to be involved in our lives. Listen at me. He's to be involved in our lives. And he wants us to know that he's right here, right now, to bless you. Maybe you know the Lord, but somehow you'd like to draw closer to him. Somehow you'd like for this message to take hold of your life. You felt insignificant lately. You felt like maybe I haven't been measuring up. Maybe you've sinned. Maybe there have been things in your life, and you'd like to get all of that under the blood. Maybe you've said things that you shouldn't have said, done things that you know in your heart that Jesus would not be proud of. Right now is the time to put it all under the blood. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray in your heart. And as we pray this prayer, I want you to be transformed in your life. I want you to let God do something. Bow your head, close your eyes. Father, as we stand before you today, we ask that you touch every, every person. First of all, that don't know you, draw them to you. May they this day make you Lord of their life. We pray for every man, every woman, every mom, every dad, every young person. We pray, God, that you would touch every heart and life today. If there are those that are going through a time where they're discouraged, we pray for their encouragement. If they're struggling with a habit, we pray, God, that you would give them victory. God, if there are things in their lives that they know that you're not pleased with, we pray that you would give them totally, totally victory. In the precious and holy name of Jesus. If there are those that have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as they accepted you, but they've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, been baptized in the Holy Ghost, may they go on, dear God, for this beautiful, wonderful second experience that your word teaches, especially in the book of Acts. We believe that today. Would you pray that prayer? Would you pray that prayer in your heart? Would you let God do something right now? I feel like there's so many needs. And, and I want you to have someone. The Bible says if, if, if two, not any two. He didn't say any two drunks, two believers. If two agree, it's touching one thing. Anything, it shall be done. I would like Teresa to come and stand here. I would like Todd to come and stand here. If you're a lady, these two people, they know God. They know the worth of prayer. They are praying people. And Todd, you come over here. Teresa, you stand here. We're going to sing that song again. And if you have a special need, I want you to come. Take their hand. Tell them what you need. Come in agreement. And God's going to touch your life. Sing it. Come if you feel the need to come or if you have a need in the Lord. Thank you for your prayers. 
Thank you for all that you do. I hope you have a wonderful, I know we got next, next week, have a wonderful Merry Christmas and a blessed, blessed Happy New Year. God bless you. Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful for this service. We're so thankful for your word. Thank you that there is joy for those that will serve you in the beauty of holiness. Thank you that you've given joy over sadness and depression, oppression. All that joy comes, dear God, from heaven and a relationship with you. Be with each family, be with each home, and keep them in your care. Protect them as they travel in Christ's name. Amen.